Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, let's turn to Mark chapter 2. So we're going to read about the calling of a man named Levi, but we know that this is Matthew who wrote the first book of the New Testament. Now, I don't mean by that that he wrote the very first gospel, but his book appears first is what I mean in the New Testament. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. But Mark apparently was the first writer. He wrote the first gospel, Mark, taking his information from Peter, as we've pointed out. Matthew and Luke have a lot of the same information as Mark, but they elaborate more and tell us more about what Jesus said. So this is another snapshot in the life of Jesus. It's a very important one. You'll see why. Let's read it together, beginning at verse 13. So he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, or the scribes and the Pharisees, another way to read this, When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, notice that phrase again, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Well, a very familiar passage to most of us. This is an important story that's told to us here. So we not only have Matthew's calling to be a disciple, but we have Jesus socializing with social outcasts here. People whose character and conduct alienated them from the religious elite. And we're going to see, see that in more detail. So let's think our way through this passage. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus calls an outcast to be his disciple. A disciple to begin with, but that discipleship is going to turn into an apostleship. He's, this man is going to be one of Jesus' original 12 apostles. 
So just keep that in your mind as we read about who he is. So notice what it says. He, he doesn't, Mark doesn't have to tell us Jesus every time. He, he just simply says the pronoun he. Because his book is about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know who the he is here. Jesus went out again. So he went out probably from Peter's house where he was staying in the city of Capernaum, or the town of Capernaum. Where was Capernaum? Right on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So when you think of the Sea of Galilee, think of Capernaum right there on the water on the north shore. That's where Capernaum was. Capernaum's been excavated. You can go there when you visit Israel and see the ruins of the synagogue and Peter's house and several other things. That they've then totally excavated. They don't totally excavate any city completely in Israel, but they do parts of it here and there. Take too long to uncover everything that's there. So Jesus went out from Capernaum, out of the house, and so he's now beside the sea. And the crowd was coming to him. And what was he doing? Teaching them, but Mark doesn't tell us what he was teaching. Because Mark doesn't capitalize so much on the nature of Jesus' teaching, his sermons and discourses and so on. Read Matthew if you want that. Or the other Gospels. But this is what people need. They need teaching. The Word of God says that the people perish for lack of knowledge. It's very important that we have the correct knowledge, that we know the Word of God. Not the knowledge on Jeopardy. That knowledge is trivial, that will not open any door to heaven, that won't secure you a place in eternity with Jesus Christ. The knowledge that we need is the knowledge that's in the Bible, which Paul said to Timothy, you have known from your youth... The Word of God, the Scriptures, which can make you wise unto salvation. Very important. In other words, what is in the Bible is going to bring you into the knowledge of salvation. Your experience of salvation. Who the Savior is. This is so Jesus was giving them what they needed. He was teaching them. He was instructing them in the Word of God. Now, verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Well, this is all very important information. Let's, let's, let's look into this. So, in Mark's gospel, he's called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. In, the, in Matthew's gospel... Matthew identifies himself as this person. So apparently he had two names. This was not something weird. They had two names, some some of the people. So he's Levi and he's Matthew. But it does say he's the son of Alphaeus, which is an interesting thing, because there was another son of Alphaeus listed among the twelve disciples James, the son of Alphaeus. So it could be that James and Matthew 
were brothers. We don't know that for sure, but that would be one way to explain the fact that both men are said to be son of Alphaeus. Notice he's sitting at the tax booth. Now, back in the ancient world in Palestine, back in that time, there were two classes of tax collectors. There were those who worked for Rome, and they were what we normally think of a tax collector, those who collected property taxes and income taxes. But there was another class of tax collectors, and that was the toll tax. It was the famous trade route that went all the way through Israel, but it was, went as far over as Mesopotamia, it was up in Turkey, called the Via Maris, Maris, the Via Maris, the way by the sea, an ancient trade route, and that trade route went right through Capernaum. Back in those ancient times, the civilizations and the countries, they had to trade with one another in order to get their goods. So there was stuff constantly going back and forth on this trade route, the Via Maris. The Via Maris went through Capernaum. It went over to Caesarea on the coast. It went down the coast of Israel and down into Egypt. This was a major trade route, a lot of traffic on that trade route. And it's believed that Matthew was manning one of the booths on that trade route that went through Capernaum. That it was his job to collect toll taxes on the goods that were being transported back and forth on the trade route. This makes good sense. This would explain why he's at a tax booth. He's in in a position where people are coming by. And the taxes that Matthew collected actually were for Herod Antipas, who was the Tetrarchy of Galilee and Perea, one of the sons of Herod the Great. So he was working for Herod. So here, here's what's important for us to know about that, with understanding that. So Levi, or Matthew... He's Jewish, and he's in the service of Herod, and probably Rome as well. And because he was working as a tax collector of sorts, he was quite despised by his fellow Jews. They were notoriously dishonest tax collectors. They had that reputation for defrauding people, taking more than they should, and also embezzling money from the government. So they were wealthy. They got wealthy doing this. And his fellow Jews looked at him as in the same category as a robber or a murderer. He was utterly detested by everyone in that culture. He was looked down on. He was a social outcast. He was disrespected. This is Matthew's position. He was disqualified from becoming a judge or a witness in the court. He was expelled from the synagogue. And he was an utter disgrace to his family. 
So we need to have that background in order to get what's going on here. So this is the man that Jesus calls to himself. Follow me. Notice Matthew's immediate response. He dropped everything and left to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus' calling, as I brought out in the past, is a, it's a divine call because of who he is. He's the Son of God. So when he issues a call, it's not, they can't resist it. You can't, they couldn't, Matthew couldn't have turned him down. There was power in the call. He had to answer that call. That's the same call that comes to people today through the gospel that brings a person to faith in Christ, that calling. Those of you who profess faith in Christ that are here today, you have been called. And we answer that call, yes, by an act of our will, but God has done something in us to make us answer that call. It's not, you can't resist it. Jesus said in John 10 that he's the good shepherd, his Sheep hear his voice, they know his voice, and they follow him. And here's a perfect example. Levi, Matthew, is one of Jesus' sheep, and he calls him, and the, the sheep knows the voice of the shepherd, Jesus says, and he follows him. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has shown throughout history, over and over again, that his choice, his choices of people are often those that are the most unlikely. <laughs> That's the way it is. The most unpromising prospects, in fact, he calls. You're looking at one right here. This, is, this agrees completely with the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Corinth when he reminds them of their calling in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. He says, For you know your calling, brethren, how that not many wise, not many noble, not many great ones are called, but God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the low, and despised, Paul says. These are the ones that God calls. Now notice, Paul says, not many wise, not many noble. He doesn't say not any. Because there have been kings and queens that have become Christians and presidents. And some king of the past said, I thank God for that little letter M. That not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish, the weak, and the despised. Why? That none may glory in his presence. This is how Paul puts it. So here's a perfect illustration of that principle here with the calling of Levi. Jesus called a very unlikely person to be an apostle. Now, notice in verse 15, Jesus has a meal with Levi, with his circle of friends, put on by Levi. Now, we don't get it so clearly in Mark's account, but if you read Luke, 
Luke says in chapter 5, verse 29, Levi made a great feast, made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. So this dinner that he puts on is not a common, ordinary meal. This is a banquet that he put on. And that's indicated by the fact that they reclined at the table. This was a way of a posture of, a, a particular posture of eating and reclining at the table. So they intended to be there a while. This was not a quick meal. This wasn't fast food. This was a banquet that he put on in the honor of Jesus Christ. He did it for him. Notice he invited many of his friends, many tax collectors, and sinners. And the phrase is used three times, as I pointed it out. This denotes well-known and despised classes among the people. They're the ones treated as outcasts, the rejected, those that are looked down on. Who are the outcasts in today's society? Who would we put in that category? There's many, I'm sure, that you can think of. Imagine a group of these people, many of them, in a home, and Jesus is there among them. This is the picture that's being created for us. It says, Jesus and his disciples were reclining with them. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That's the first time now that we have the word disciple in Mark's gospel right here, second chapter, verse 15. What is a disciple? That is a pupil, a student, a learner. No, this is the word that's used of those that Jesus gathered around him. The picture is that of a rabbi teaching his students. Usually the students picked the rabbi that they wanted to adhere to, but we find in the case of Jesus that he picked his students. He handpicked them who he wanted to adhere to him because he's going to train them to be what? Fishers of men. We learn from the first chapter. So these are his disciples. Matthew now has joined them for this meal. In Jewish society, table fellowship, this is what it's called, was the most intimate expression of friendship. Most intimate expression of friendship was having a meal together. So what Jesus is doing here, his conduct, it was scandalous in some ways. It was shocking. It was radical that he would dine with these people who were regarded by the strict Jews as being the outcasts. So the Lord Jesus, he defied the religious establishment by doing this. We're not surprised that Matthew 
wanted to have a meal of this nature for Jesus in his honor, but also to have all his friends come. Why did he do that? Because he wanted, he wanted them to meet him. He wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus Christ and to get to know this person who had become his new Lord. You know, the same approach works today. People are more likely to come to your house for a meal. You know, if you want to invite non-Christians, come to your house for a meal rather than to a church to hear a sermon. Way more likely to come to your house for a meal. This is how it was done. Now, verses 16 and 17. Jesus answers his critics. He answers his critics. So the scribes and the Pharisees, we remember who the scribes are. These are the experts in the law. They're the ones who studied the law in great detail, along with the Pharisees. The Pharisees did as well, but the scribes were the experts. They were the professionals. The Pharisees were a group of laymen. This was a party of laymen. The scribes were the professional studiers of the law, the ones who had gone to school, and they were especially knowledgeable in oral tradition, the contents of a a work called the Mishnah, which is a collection of what the rabbis say as they interpret the law. If there's a law that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, then they tell you all the different situations that you have to abide by in order to keep that commandment. So the Mishnah was full of a lot of additional rules. This This was the oral tradition. The scribes were very familiar with what the previous rabbis taught about the law. They could quote them. Remember in the first chapter we saw that Jesus did not teach like the scribes did because the scribe would quote people and say, Hillel says, Shammai says. But Jesus, he taught on the basis of his own authority. He didn't have to quote anybody because he's the Son of God. His word was absolute. He's the lawgiver, in fact, we learned. He is the great I am in the flesh, Yahweh of the Old Testament is here among us. So the scribes and then the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the, the, a party of laymen. They were devoted to keeping the law and especially keeping it according to the oral tradition as taught by the scribes. So the, the Pharisees were known as the separated ones, the holy ones. They were greatly respected So they were very careful about who they kept company with. And they would have many scruples about this group that Jesus was with. They would not have ventured into that house to have a dinner with them. So they pose the question. Notice they don't ask Jesus directly. They ask his disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the question. 
So they're protesting, they're questioning it. Why is he eating and drinking with those who don't aspire to purity and holiness? With people who appear to be indifferent to the laws of God. If he were a true teacher in Israel, Jesus would know it's inappropriate to have table fellowship with such people. So the Lord Jesus Christ now answers this in verse 17. This is actually a familiar proverb, and I don't mean a proverb from the Bible. It's not out of the book of Proverbs. This was a proverb of sorts that was familiar in the ancient world among the Greeks, among the Jews, like we have sayings today. This was a saying. It's so obvious, and and it's a perfect answer. Again, Jesus' answers are always brilliant. They, they silence the person who is objecting. Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. It's so obvious on the surface. In other words, where, where is a doctor going to set up his practice? Who is he going to want to come to his practice? There, there's no doctor who's going to hang a sign out in front of his practice and say that he only sees well people. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. A physician is for the sick. Those that are trained in the medical arts apply their knowledge to heal people, to restore health. Well, it's obvious. The proverb. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now he's going to drive it home, what he means by this. Notice what he says. I came not... Now, this is very important because this is a statement from Jesus himself about why he's here. Like, we've looked at this. This is, a, this is one of the things in the New Testament that is like a diamond to me. It has many facets to it. It's like, why did Jesus Christ come into this world? What was his purpose? That is a diamond with many facets. It has many answers. There's not, a, there's not just one answer to that question. I came, notice, I came. Where did he come from? John's gospel tells us, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Imagine that. Jesus was sent from heaven. Now, it wasn't Jesus that was in heaven. There was no Jesus in heaven. It was the Son of God. And he was a spirit. And he took a human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary and became a man. So he was the God-man. This God-man came down from heaven. The Son of God came down from heaven, became the God-man. In this world. And why was he here? I came not to call the righteous. Now what he, what he means by that is there, there's no righteous people. Paul says in Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. 
Romans 3.10. There's none righteous. There's no one who keeps the law of God. We're all sinners before God. But yet there are some people who think they are righteous. And Jesus confronted them. And they're right here in this group. It's the Pharisees, especially, who in their view, they were righteous. They were the ones that were concerned about keeping God's law and keeping it in detail. And Jesus told a very powerful story that involved these people. And Luke records it in Luke 18. And it begins by saying that he spoke to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's how it begins. Then Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Notice who he chooses to be the opposite of the Pharisee. Again, we have this contrast. This gives you some idea of the tax collector, and how he was viewed in the first century, Palestine. These two men went up to the temple to pray. And then Jesus describes the Pharisee, that when he, got, when he was in the temple, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and his prayer, Jesus said, he prayed with himself. Kind of interesting. In other words, his prayer didn't go anywhere. <laughs> he prayed with himself, saying... God, I thank you, I am not like other men. Imagine a prayer like that. And then he describes some sins and he says, or like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. This is the Pharisee. In other words, it's a person who thinks they're righteous. And then Jesus describes the tax collector. He's over out of the way, and he's beating on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And and then Jesus concludes by saying, this man went to his house justified. The other man, the Pharisee, did not. Because he that exalts himself shall be humbled. But he that humbles himself will be exalted. Very powerful story. It brings us home. Brings home exactly what Jesus is teaching here. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So given Jesus' mission, given his mission, that he's not here for the righteous, but for sinners... It's just completely contrary to think that he would shun being with these people and enjoying a meal with them. These are the people he came for. This is precisely why he was here, was to minister to them. Now, let me conclude this with a couple of thoughts. First of all, I want you to note that Jesus did not make repentance a condition of his eating with them. He didn't say, these people got to change their life or I'm not going to come and have a meal with them. He went and had a meal with them just as they are. 
and love them as they are. Think of today the outcasts of society today. Think of who they might be, the homeless, uh, addicts, trans people, the mentally ill. And Lord Jesus Christ did not require repentance before he was going to socialize with them. I mean, this is such a great thing to note about this. We don't know what he said to them. So I'm not even going to try to guess what his conversation was, but no doubt it was valuable conversation, important conversation, But I think he mixed it up with them, and he enjoyed the time with them as they ate together. Now, there's something else here. I want to go in a completely different direction with this thought. One of the things that the church looks forward to in the future, and this is found in the last book of the Bible, it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's in Revelation 19, so it's near the end. It's right as the church is entering into the eternal state. That there is going to be some celebration of Jesus Christ with his bride, the church. And that the church is going to sit down, as it were, with him and have a marriage feast. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. This is unimaginable. It's It's one of the prospects that the church has in its glorious future. But here's what's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 8 and verse 10, He said that many will come from the east and the west and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about the gathering of the Gentiles someday with the Jewish patriarchs, which would represent the saved among Israel, those who really know Yahweh. And they're going to have a meal together. This to me is a picture, a preview in Matthew 8 of what we read in Revelation 19. So now I'm backing it up to this meal that Jesus has with these people. That this sort of is another picture of that in miniature. Who he's going to dine with in the future. We're all... Sinners, just like these people are. We may not be social outcasts because of our profession or the lifestyle that we had before, but we're in the same category as being sinners and in need of the gospel. And here is Jesus in their midst. This meal is in his honor that Matthew serves So there may be that for us to see here as well. But finally, the last thing I want to say about this 
is there was a criticism made of Jesus by the Pharisees that's recorded in Luke's gospel, and it's intended to smear his character. And it's along the same lines as this. And it's found in Luke 15. You know that that's the chapter about the prodigal son. That story about the prodigal son. But what introduces the parable of the prodigal son is something that the scribes and the Pharisees said to Jesus. So the tax collector, this is in Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. This is how it begins. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, the religious establishment, criticized Jesus and they said this. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This was intended, intended to be a criticism of Jesus, obviously, to make him look bad. It was coming from their utter dislike of the Lord Jesus Christ, probably hatred at this point, because Jesus said he was hated without a cause. But the church, who reads that now, Christians, for us, when we read that, that was the greatest compliment that could have been paid to him. It's just the opposite, how we look at that now. Thank God that they made that criticism of Jesus, because we're in that same group of people, and it says that he receives them and eats with them. That's good news for us. Good news. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now the question is, have we received Jesus Christ? He receives you if you come to him and receive him. There's a mutual reception there that takes place when you become a believer. This is all important to your future, your eternity with him. Your eternity in God's presence hinges upon your relationship to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Not on your knowledge of game show questions and answers. All that will do you absolutely no good in eternity. We have to know him who to know is life eternal. That's how John puts it. There's knowledge, there's eternal life in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the knowledge that we all need. Can't afford to be without that knowledge. People perish for a lack of knowledge of Christ. This is why Jesus said, take the gospel out into the world, preach it to every creature. Why? Because we're all lost. We're all lost without the knowledge of Christ. This is why... We believe in missions and in spreading the gospel abroad. So no greater news could be told to the church than that this man receives sinners and eats with them. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners, Jesus said. Amen. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. 